Coach Bobby Lee Duke of the Giants. Coach Duke, how does this year look for the team? Alice, we've grown real fond of the state title, and we don't see any reason to give it up this year. I've got most of my starters coming back, and I've got a strong bench. So I've only got one thing to say. Get off the tracks, because the freight train's coming. Time out, ref. Ref, time out. Coach, I'm done. Someone else has got to leave. Right. This is when it matters most. I know you're tired. It's easy to leave when you're strong. But now is when you lead. It's right now. Can you give me four more downs? I just need four more downs. Four more. All right, come here. Come here. This is our time. And you've got to put the nails in the coffin. Look at me. Look at me. We didn't fight this far to give up in the last quarter. You've got to leave everything on the field. And field goals, they're not an option. I need you for four more downs. Who's with me? Now get up there and get it done. With less than two minutes left on the clock, the Giants stand on the verge of their fourth straight consecutive state title. A tired Eagles team lines up to face them yet again. Giants line up first and goal. This score will solidify the state championship. No, wait a minute. He has stopped. The Eagles are still in it. They're still showing strong determination to fight this one out. You gotta hang with me. I know it's getting tough. We've got to stop them right here. It's second down and goal to go for the Giants. The state title is within their grasp. Both of the stands are on their feet right now as they get ready to run this play. Westbrook will take it. He's going to try to run it. No! The Eagles have stopped it again! That's my team! That's my team! We didn't come this far to give up now. When we come to church, we're not only listening to a message, but we're becoming part of a community of believers that invest in each other's lives, that when there are troubles and there are difficulties, when you fall into sin, that together we are in agreement of the way that we should live, and together we do all that we can to help each other stay on the straight and narrow. And as a church, when we encourage each other, when the opposition comes against us, when um, it seems like we're going to fall or our life is defeated, when other people come alongside of us and say, I, I, I see what you're doing, and it's not right. Let me help you. I'm praying for you through this difficulty. I know you've done wrong, and I still care about you, and we still love you. This putting discipline in discipleship makes all the difference in the world. You know, discipline is the thing that helps us to be successful in life. Personal discipline helps us to keep our priorities in line, helps us to do the right things the right way. Spiritual discipline helps us to keep growing in the Lord, and today we just want to look briefly at discipline, church discipline in the church. And a lot of people go, oh, that sounds terrible. Why would a church do that? Well, it's not that the church is sitting here like a bunch of policemen, uh, police people just waiting to trap you doing something wrong. No, it's together to be a holy church, to be a church that cares, to be a church that is making a difference in the world. God has given us principles for church discipline. And that is found in Matthew chapter 18, and we'll look at some of that today. But many movies have been made about great coaches that have made a difference, like Hoosiers and Remember the Titans and uh, Miracle, which Kurt Russell 
played Herb Brooks when the 1980 U.S. Olympic hockey team uh, beat the, the Russian squad. And then there was Glory Road, which we showed a clip from a long time ago. Uh, Josh, Josh Lucas plays Texas Western coach Don Haskins, who led the first all-black starting lineup for a college basketball team in the 1966 NCAA National Championship. And we are Marshall and others. And if you're not into football, you know, you appreciate music, good music done well. Sometimes it's an orchestra, sometimes it's a band. But when it's done well and there's somebody guiding, directing, and instructing, it's valued and cared for. Sometimes it is dance. Uh, Sometimes it is art. Sometimes it's military armed forces who train very disciplined because sometimes their discipline can help save their lives as they risk their life for our freedoms. They, as they are trained, will do what they're trained and it will, it will help protect everybody. And we even admire parents whose children are well-behaved and well-disciplined or parents who step in to discipline their children so that they don't do whatever they want and run over everybody. So discipline is a highly desirable quality, but discipline isn't about being mean. It isn't about, oh, I finally get a chance to jump on you because you did wrong. Discipline is all about love. You know, the Bible says that God disciplines those whom he loves. It says, blessed is the man you discipline, O Lord, the man you teach from your law. And the Bible says, those whom I love, I rebuke and discipline. So discipline is a good thing. We discipline our children because we love them. We are disciplined by God because He loves us. And it's not that He's trying to hurt us or be mean. You know, 99% of church life involves formative discipline. It's a discipline to come to church on a Sunday morning to worship. It's a discipline to be involved in a small group, to learn how to facilitate or lead a small group. It's a discipline to do social activities to help others in need, like baby showers and giving trees for new church planters and to help the food shelf and other things like that. And we make choices, and when we choose the right things, it's a great thing, and we are formed in Christ, not by just sitting at home reading the Bible on our own, not just by watching TV church, but by actually coming together and worshiping and serving together. So as a church pastor, my dream is to see all of you involved getting together to celebrate the Lord on a Sunday for worship, to see all of you involved in a small group, either participating or leading a small group, and that's where you're gaining and growing, and I'd like to see all of you involved in some type of ministry where you're reaching out to others, using your spiritual gifts. Those would be three great formative disciplines for you to pursue, as is daily Bible reading and scripture memorization and and things like that. So, you know, in Acts chapter 2, it says they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe and many wonders and miraculous signs were done by the apostles and all the believers were together and they had everything in common, selling their possessions and good they gave to anyone as he had need. And every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. And you see in this passage that when God started the church, when God had the Holy Spirit come upon these people and they were making a difference, that they were sharing life together. It wasn't this individualistic Christianity, yeah, I'm a Christian, but I'm off by myself, leave me alone. But it was like, I'm sharing, I'm sharing my life with these people. They're sharing their life with me. I see they have a need. 
I have a resource to meet that need and I care about them so much, I'm going to do something to help them in that need. And together they were sharing life. And you can bet that if somebody started to do something sinful or ungodly or compromising, that those people who cared for each other and loved each other were going to come alongside and say, hey, I think you're out of bounds. Hey, I think that you're not, you're not following through like you should. Hey, I think that you're doing the right thing, but your motives and your thoughts are all wrong. And those kinds of things. Not to tell the whole world or to gossip, but to come alongside so that they can be better like a good coach, like a caring coach. And God wants us to live in that type of community. Hebrews 10.24, let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds. And let us not give up meeting together, but to encourage each other, encourage one another as we see the day approaching. Someday the Lord's going to return. We're going to spend eternity in the Lord's presence in heaven together. And the church is supposed to be the closest thing to heaven on earth. Now I know that it's not perfect, but together we are a worshiping group. And many people say that their church family is much closer than their biological family. So 1 Thessalonians 2.11, you know that we dealt with each of you as a father deals with his own children, encouraging, comforting, and urging you to live lives worthy of God who calls you into his kingdom of glory. That is the motivation. That is the type of attitude we're supposed to have. Care, love, encouragement, gently guiding, waiting for you to respond and to do the right thing, and then telling you that you did a great job and that we appreciate you. But occasionally, we need corrective or restorative discipline. Now, if you were disciplined enough to bring your Bibles, it seems odd that I would call you on bringing your Bibles because we have just about everything on the screen. But just as a test, I'm not going to show it on the screen. In Matthew chapter 18, if you were to look in Matthew chapter 18, instead of putting the whole thing on the screen, you will see that Jesus has laid out some guidelines for what we're supposed to do. We're going to look at these guidelines in just a minute about what to do if your brother sins against you. But you will also see in the midst of this procedure for what you do for the erring brother in church discipline, you will see that it is sandwiched between two important things, two bookends of love. And one, Jesus says, if a man owns a hundred sheep and one of them wanders away, in Matthew 18, 12, one of them wanders away, will he not leave the 99 on the hills and go to look for the one that wandered off? And if he finds it, I tell you the truth, he's happier about the one sheep than the 99 that did not wander off. In the same way, your Father in heaven is not willing that any of these little ones should be lost. So on one end is this love and searching for the erring sheep and the lost wandering sheep and how excited when the sheep comes back. And then there's a procedure for the erring brother in church discipline. And then it's followed up right away by the parable of the unmerciful servant that talks about how we're supposed to forgive. How many times shall I forgive my brother when he sins against me? Up to seven times? No, Jesus answered, I tell you, not seven times, but 77 times. Or another translation that says seven times seven. So the idea is, is that you've got this care and love and forgiveness is at the other end of that book. And we're actually going to talk about that next week. Forgiveness, the awesome dynamic power of forgiveness. All right, so here's what happens is that you see somebody's fallen into sin or they've actually done something to hurt you or to offend you. So what are you to do? Are you to go tell everybody else, oh, you wouldn't believe what he did? Now that's kind of gossiping. Should you come tell the church leadership? Maybe not yet. What you should do, step one, is one, correct privately. If your brother sins against you, go and show him his fault just between the two of you. And if he listens to you, you have won your brother over. 
So you come alongside this person and they say, you know, that, that's right. I am wrong and I need to... Fi- Thank you for pointing that out. I didn't even realize that. I will not tell you the things that I did when I was young because it doesn't glorify God and you don't really need to know what it is. But there are two occasions in my life where um, this whole policy for church discipline or whatever worked out. First one is I had done something wrong and I was about to get in a bunch of trouble for it and I actually went to somebody in the church and I said, I have done this thing and it's really messed up and you could rescue me if you would do this thing to help me get out of this trouble I've created for myself. And this person knew that I was repentant and I knew that I did wrong and so he rescued me and he didn't beat me up about it or say, you shouldn't do that because I already told him I know I shouldn't do it. And so that was one side where it was simple to correct privately. Another one was is where I did something and I thought it was just fine. And so, I mean, this guy was the youth leader in my church and I also worked for him, which means I needed a paycheck from him. And I did this thing that in my mind I didn't really think was wrong, but he sure thought it was. And so I told him this just kind of casually. And he stops and he's like, you did what? And uh, he was like, all like, I didn't see what was wrong with it, but anyway, I'm like, do I still have a job? He's like, yes, you still have a job, but these are the things that you're going to do to correct this right now because what you did, it hurts other people. And so that was a time when somebody had to be stern. I mean, in our culture, many people go, well, it's not my business to judge. Well, you know, what is my business to say? But actually, it's a great thing when somebody comes alongside and says, you did what? Do you realize that this, this, and this is a result of this? No, I didn't. So first, correct privately. Dietrich Bonhoeffer says, Nothing is so cruel as the tenderness that consigns another to a sin. Nothing can be more compassionate than the severe rebuke that calls a brother back. So to be able to have somebody step in and to make a difference in somebody's life is huge. A pastor tells a story. He says, There's a single man in our congregation who is behaving inappropriately toward women. He badgered some women with unwanted phone calls. His conversations were reportedly marked with sexual suggestiveness, and the situation required a rebuke, and if that was not effective, discipline. I asked this man to meet with me. He says, I've been made aware, the pastor says, that a number of women in our congregation are offended and some quite angered by the things you've been doing. Let me be specific. You have raised inappropriate sexual subjects in conversation. Women have reported that you have phoned them in a manner they consider harassment. I'll be glad to give specific examples if you feel you need them. The man cautiously admitted there was substantial truth to the reports. Then the pastor goes on, I want you to hear me very carefully so there is no misunderstanding between us. I have thought about this for several days. I have asked God to give me wisdom and I want to speak in Christian love and respect to you. But I want you to know that I am the one who has responsibility for spiritual leadership of this congregation. And your behavior has been unacceptable according to Scripture and according to the covenant life of this church. People have been hurt and you have lost your credibility in their eyes. pastor says, Christian men do not, as they say, hit on women. They treat them with respect and honor. And if you do not understand how this is done, I will be happy to team you up with a man who can provide you instruction. If there is one more instance of inappropriate behavior of this kind, I will immediately bring your name before the board of elders and ask them to put you under church discipline. Have I made myself clear? The man assured me that he understood, and I concluded our meeting with prayer, acknowledging God's presence in the conversation. Later, he took me up on my offer to connect him with a mature man who could provide him guidance that he clearly had not received from other sources, and I never got another adverse report about him. Gordon MacDonald writes in The Gift of Rebuke. 
So if that doesn't work to go one-on-one, -on -one, then you take one or two others along. If he will not listen to you, take one or two others along so that every matter may be established by the testimony of two or three witnesses. So you come along and you say, we are in agreement that this thing that you're doing is not right, that it's wrong, and we have heard your story and we don't think it's a misunderstanding and we don't think it's just something we can let go by. So together, the two of us or the three of us want to talk to you about you know, what, what needs to change and why it's so important. And I want you to know that it's just not me saying this, but it's also these two. So you take one or two others along. And if that doesn't work, then, then you tell it to the church. If he refuses to listen to them, the two or three initial confronters, then tell it to the church. Now, that's not like a gossip thing. First, you come to the church leaders, and we discuss it. And if it becomes something that we all know is a public sin that affects everybody, and the person is not repentant, then together as a church, we discuss it and let them know to pray for this person and that this person is, is doing this type of thing and um, that we want everything to restore them into a right relationship with the Lord and into doing what is right and step four, if that doesn't work, if they refuse to repent or refuse to listen, then we are to treat him as a pagan or tax collector, which isn't very, um, it's not like we're the best friends, you know. If he refuses to listen, even to the church, treat him as you would a pagan or a tax collector. Now, a lot of us actually treat pagans pretty nice because we're trying to win them to Christ. And so we want them to be restored into a right relationship with Christ, but we don't offer them the opportunity to be involved in our lives like they were um, as they are put aside from the fellowship of the church. Hopefully they will realize that something is majorly wrong here and they would hope to be restored, that it would be their desire to be restored. Um, Mark Dever and Nine Marks of a Healthy Church says, Biblical church discipline is simple obedience to God and simple confession that we need help. We cannot live the Christian life alone. Our purpose in church discipline is positive for the individual discipline for other Christians as they see the real danger of sin and for the health of the church as a whole and for the corporate witness of the church to those outside. Most of all, our holiness is to reflect the holiness of God. It should mean something to be a member of the church, not for our pride's sake, but for God's name's sake. Biblical church discipline is the mark of a healthy church. And then, so the person repents and says, you know, I was wrong, that was wrong, please forgive me. And then they can be restored into a right relationship with the church as they're restored into a right relationship with our fellowship. And then we're to forgive. And we talk about forgiveness next week. But we are to forgive as God has forgiven us. Forgive your brother from your heart 77 times. Matthew 18, 21, and 22 talks about. Now we haven't had big church discipline gatherings because usually the people that we talk to individually either flee or they repent. Either they just run off and they don't want to have anything to do with us for a while or they realize that it's wrong and they repent before it ever has to come to the church. Many years ago there was a family that was having this difficulty and this marriage trouble and it was years ago and we tried everything we could to try to reach out to them and they were rude and didn't want to have anything to do with us. And as far as we could tell, it was all lost. But years later, the same family wrote us a note that said, thank you for standing in our way as we were going through this difficult time because it helped. So um, anyway, but the whole idea is, is that we need to be accountable to each other. We need to show love as we... This isn't, I think, for busybodies or... Um, 
you know, people to be meddlers in people's lives either. But we need to be accountable to each other. We need to help each other be on the winning team, and we need to encourage each other. Sometimes it's just like in the video clip we saw that says, we didn't come this far to give up now. You didn't come this far in the Christian life to fall into sin now. It's not time to give up. It's time to press on. You have so much potential to be used by God. And so if you've fallen and you've gotten back up, we need to be a church that shows you forgiveness and love. And we're going to talk about that next week. But discipline is God's gift and blessing to the church. So our challenge is the next time you are faced with disciplining someone, a child, subordinate, etc., challenge yourself to discipline as God disciplines, out of love for that person, not retribution. So many more things could be said on church discipline and many stories of people who have fallen away and come back. But the point that we want you to know in being a peacemaker is there is a time to confront people in the church in love, but first you start with them one-on-one, and then if they don't listen, then you bring somebody else along, and it escalates from there. But the whole idea isn't to get vengeance, isn't to make yourself feel better because you've been wrong, but to restore them into a right relationship with the Lord. And sometimes that doesn't happen immediately. But that is our goal and our prayer, and that will help us to be a peacemaking, healthy church. The worship team can come forward and I'll pray. Lord, we just thank you so much that together we can share this life. There are so many other people that need to make peace with you, Jesus, and need to repent of their sin and to receive you, Lord, that they would pray something like, Lord Jesus, I know you died on the cross and rose again. Please come into my life and save me and make me the person you created me to be. As they pray that, then you'll come into their life and they'll be saved and they'll become a child of God and brought into the family of God. And Lord, we just pray that you would help us to be peacemakers and that you would raise up a group from this church to serve you and to make a difference and to lead small groups. And Lord, that you would just help us to make more of an impact in this region that you've given us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.